Bienvenue and welcome to Akeem's Dream Show. My name is Akeem the Dream, also known as Brown Sugar Supreme, also known as the Dark Knight Batman. I'm Batman. This show is a variety show because I had a lot of ideas growing up and wrote them down and my curiosity is insatiable. And you'll notice that I have a lot of random ideas and subjects, but I think that's what makes it fun. Variety is the spice of life and I like to keep it spicy and you will find that out very quickly. Remember folks, never grow old with no stories to tell. And it's finally time to spice things up. Let's go. Check this out. Listen, Mr. Samsonite, about the briefcase, my friend Harry and I have every intention of fully reimbursing you. Open it up. Open it up! Go ahead. Open it up. Do what he says. Harry. Where's all the money? That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. Go ahead and add it up. Every cent's accounted for. Look. See this? That's a car. 275000 Might want to hang on to that one. Dumb and Dumber is one of the best movies of all time. And when you have credit card debt, you feel like Lloyd and Harry from that movie. You feel dumber than dumb. You feel stupid because you owe money. The debtor is slave to the debt holder the owner and 175,000 you might want to hold on to that one don't worry i'm a limo driver so you're saying there's a chance lloyd really demonstrated during that movie about what not to do and not that you shouldn't get a credit card because that's not what the show is about but i really wanted to explore in this episode what came first money or credit bartering or borrowing these are subjects that we are so ill-equipped with when we enter the world as adults when we leave school. How come we don't get taught about the law of 72, interest rates, APRs, right, credit scores? We don't get taught about any of this stuff, but yet we're expected to go into the world and accrue a shit ton of debt, whether it be through credit cards, student loans or otherwise, car loans. We just get hampered with all this debt. And then we look up, we're 30 years old and we're like, what just happened? How come I owe so much money to so many people? If any of these people watch The Godfather, they'd know that owing people money is never a good idea. End up sleeping with the fishes. Hey, hey, where's Fat Tony? Oh, you're sleeping with the fishes. Don't worry about it. If we treated credit card companies like uh, people who borrow from the money treat the mafia, we'd all be dead by now. But unfortunately, what just ends up happening is we just get further and further into the hole. I'm going to go over some stats later in this episode about what's happening in the world right now because of things like inflation where the money is not as valuable as it used to be, interest rates where people are not going to buy a home anymore because it just does not make sense. Anybody in their right mind would not spend any money right now on any kind of house because it just doesn't make sense. Your cost of money is too high. We took for granted for too long interest rates being between 1% and 3%, maybe not 1%, but like you know what I'm talking about. Money was virtually free. If, if interest rates are at 1%, that means that you're effectively getting the money for for free, right? 1% on the money is, depending on how much you borrow, is insignificant uh, because you could just pay that off easily, right? If you owe if you if I gave you $100 and it's a 1% interest rate, that means you owe me a dollar every year for that money that you're borrowing from me, assuming you pay it back. So that's that's nothing, right? But if you're talking 6 7% and not $100 but a million, right? Now you're talking $60,000, $70,000, right? It's uh, it's not immaterial. <laughs> and that's what's happening, right? 
if you didn't have a fixed rate mortgage going into the latest pandemic, or sorry, the latest uh, credit crunch, where these uh, central banks were raising the interest rates, well, uh, one day you woke up and your mortgage went from, I don't know, 1500 to 4000 or $4,500 overnight. So if you have that, plus you have like a car loan of, I don't know, some people with trucks have like an eight or $900 car payment every month. You don't have to have an A plus uh, in arithmetic to realize that you're in the hole and you're in it deep, deep, balls deep with the credit card companies and the credit lines and the banks. And uh, I love the line that Trump made years ago. He uh, was in debt. I don't even know, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, probably almost a billion dollars because in real estate, obviously you borrow money. So let's say a project costs $100 million, you're going to borrow $70 million, and then you're going to have $30 million of equity. But he had multiple buildings, right? When you're running a real estate empire, you have hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on what the size of the projects are. And uh, he owed money to these banks. And he went to the banks and said, listen, if I owe you $10,000, I have a problem. But if I owe you $100 million, we have a problem. <laughs> the banks are just as incentivized to get their money back as you are to pay it off if the loan is big enough. The credit card companies, I think they're in the sweet spot where most people have like an average debt of five or $6,000 on credit cards. That means that you have a problem. The person who owes that money, the credit cards don't because that's they, they, they can get $6,000 somewhere else. But from you, you better freaking pay that back, right? But if you owe that credit card company $100 million, well, that's a different story. So all this world of finance is something that we don't really think about. And a lot of people don't really think about finance until they have to, right? When they're buying a house or when they're buying a car or whenever they're starting a business. And this is a subject that I've become more and more versed of over time just because being in real estate development, a lot of the stuff I had to learn and become under, and become well-versed in is debt and equity, financing, things like time value of money, opportunity costs, just basic finance, basic economics 101. And this is stuff that I think we need to think more about. We need to, there should be a course in high school. And I think there is called COM, Career and Life Management Studies. I'm not sure where you're from, if you live in Ireland or Australia or wherever you grew up, but I'm not sure if you have these courses, but these are so important, right? These courses that you take, because the only person who taught me about finance, and this is an interesting concept because I think everyone can relate, is my grandmothers. My grandma and my nanny, my nanny's my my Jamaican side, my grandmother's, my German-French side, they both taught me about finance. My, my granny used to say, Akeem, put 10% away of every check. My grandma used to say, uh, make sure that you invest in mutual blah, 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 mutual funds and all this kind of stuff. And most grannies retire rich because they have huge, they're the matriarch of families typically, they have huge families, lots of grandkids, so they end up just practicing good financial principles and, and best practices. And a lot of them retire rich, these grannies. They just end up spending less money than they take in and they're able to distribute the money well. A lot of grannies would be really good asset managers for investment bankers, <laughs> just because the principles they use are pretty timeless. But let's go into the history of credit or money or bartering, which came first. Well, the debate is still ongoing because nobody really knows what started first. Was it bartering? And bartering is just essentially, I have this clam, you have that carpet or that spice. I have too much of this carpet or too much of this spice, so I'm going to trade you like for like, right? If you had a surplus of X and somebody had something you wanted, you could give away some of that surplus because you don't need, let's say you have enough spice. Let's say you have enough garam masala <laughs> or let's say you have enough cumin to last a lifetime, but someone else finds that cumin valuable. You can go to that person and someone has that carpet 
someone has a carpet and you have a lot of cumin. You keep your cumin and you can afford to give away some of it because you have too much of it and they have lots of carpets and you want a carpet. So you say, I'll give you some of my extra cumin for some of your extra carpet. That's bartering, right? And you'll notice that people do this today. To this day, they'll barter on things like Facebook Marketplace. And some people I know are extremely lethal on that on that site. They'll meet and you always bring and negotiate with cash, right? They'll meet somebody and be like, hey, I'll give you, like my mom is an absolute G at this. Like she'll go and just, she just makes so much money off there because there's just so much stuff lying around the house she doesn't need anymore. And boom, she sells it off. She makes a lot of money doing that. And a lot of people do that with flipping, right? With garage sales, it's a little bit different. It's not really finance, but finding under, that's called arbitrage where you find something that's something cheap and you know that it could be sold somewhere else in a different market for a higher price. That's arbitrage. So that's a different kind of element of finance, but these are all different kind of things, right? Where it's like the more you know, the more you learn. The more you learn, the more you earn. So let's go into the history here of credit. The idea of credit is trust. That's the idea of credit is trust that if I provide money resources to a party, that party does not have to reimburse me immediately, but the trust is a promise that they will either repay me uh, or give me that money back at a later date. So the idea of credit, like I give you credit. Oh, that person has credit or that person, I give that person credit for X. That means I'm giving them, I'm trusting that they earn or they deserve something that's coming back to them based on something they gave. If someone takes credit for something at work, it's because they did something and in return, you're giving them something for it. Now, sometimes credit's not given right away, which is a big problem in corporate America or whatever you want to call it, the workplace. But if credit is given fast, then more credit is given, right? Uh, or more credit is given because that person is going to feel good about getting credit. So this idea of credit is not just in the sense of, oh, there's a, a piece of plastic or metal issued by a bank uh, that allows you to buy things in exchange for being paid back later. It's the idea of credit is trust. It's the assumption that you're going to be paying me back, but it's a revolving debt, especially credit cards, which means that the more you charge to the card, the more you owe, but the more you pay back, the more you can spend. So it's like a double-edged sword, right? The more money you have, the more assets you have, the bigger credit you can get. So this is not a guaranteed, this is not a catch-all theory because a lot of people debate this, but a lot of people believe the evolution of money is what I was saying earlier with bartering. Bartering started off and then over a period of time, they realized that this was too complicated, so they, they created money. Money evolved out of bartering to represent the excess cumin or the excess carpets you had. So you, you would just convert that excess, that surplus, to a currency, and then you use that currency to pay for other people's excess goods. When you didn't have enough excess goods to convert to money, you would have credit. That was the evolution of a lot of, that's the evolution of money as a system that a lot of people believe, but it is disputed. It's not an obvious, it's not an obvious uh, straightforward path from bartering to credit. A lot of people think that credit actually came first and that credits circulated as IOUs. And this even goes back to the Mesopotamian times where they used tablets to just write down a ledger of what was owed. And then that was credit, right? You owe me this based on what this ledger, this, this, this stone tablet says. And this all is in the field of monetary economics. So if you want to study more about this, just throw into YouTube monetary economics and you can hear somebody with a much more or much less velvety voice than mine to bring you up to speed on the history of moolah. It's all about the Benjamins, right? What is the ancient history of credit cards? Well, some believe that the very first credit cards were found throughout history in ancient Mesopotamia. 
where they were actually clay tablets that were treated like lines of credit and traded with neighboring civilizations. So the Architectural Institute of America shows that ancient Mesopotamians used these clay tablets for contracts and different business information and details for financial transactions. So essentially, they use these stone tablets in Mesopotamia for ledgers, like a ledger on your, if you go on your online banking, imagine that in stone form. That's what they used. And that's how they created the credit systems back then. And Mesopotamians, they were like really rich, had really rich fertile lands. That was one of the first societies to evolve from hunter-gatherers to agricultural. Of course, they had credit because everyone needed a hoe and not that kind of hoe, like a hoe for the fields. <laughs> but, uh, but some people need that. These finely preserved clay tablets date back to 5,000, almost 5,000 years ago and show how early commerce may have worked throughout various parts of the world. And from 2000 to 1750 BC, these were like essentially early credit cards and they paved the way for official offer transfers of money and goods that were sometimes facilitated by debt and used for commercial purposes. So all the way from like, you know, 1750 to 5,000 years ago, there was credit systems in place, but they were just using stone tablets instead of bank machines. Now today, if you fast forward, right, 1700 years, the world runs on credit from everything from a house, you need a house, you need to have good credit, student loans, credit, credit, uh, credit cards, credit, car loans, credit, you also need to be worthy of that credit, your credit worthiness is defined by your three digit score, which is really the key to your financial life. If you have a bad credit rating, it's going to make it hard to do anything unless you become rich, unless you get a windfall of cash it's going to be very hard to do anything, right? Because everyone's going to judge you based on your ability to pay them back. The mafia is not going to do business with people who don't pay them back. That's just not how it works. And they, they learn about that through the neighborhood and every other institution that I just mentioned learns that through your credit score. The last time I got my credit score done, it was healthy. And it was when I was buying a car, like maybe seven or eight years ago. But I normally don't get it pulled. It's probably like getting your blood tested. You should probably do it once a year, but... I know that it costs you and actually your credit score goes down when they check it. Your credit score takes a hit. And when it comes to credit cards, right, you're looking at APRs, right? What is the, uh, and APRs doesn't mean out of pain and regret. It means the rate that the credit cards will charge you for borrowing, right? Other words, otherwise known as interest because they're not just going to give you money for free, but they will give you a very low interest rate if you have good credit, right? Because you're lower risk. Money is just traded like a commodity, right? They'll give it away to people who they feel comfortable with and who they think they'll be able to do good business with for a long time. The incentive is based on how good you are at paying back money over time, which is why a lot of people say you should have a credit card so you can build that credit. But here's some credit card stats because I love looking at stats, especially these are especially up to date from 2022. So the average credit card debt in 2022 per borrower was about $5,474 or about $617 higher than the year before. So it's going up at a rate of about almost eight or 9% every year. Collectively, this adds up to $38 billion of new debt in a single quarter and represents 15% increase year over year. So I was off by about 7%, which is a lot. It's the most in two decades. It also says here that the higher your income, the more likely you are to use the cards. So it jumps from 28% of all payments made to 34% of all payments made for people making more than six figures and up to 44% for those making more than $150,000. So I guess it's less risky for you to use the card if you have a high income because you can pay it off every month. So you're going to use it for more things because credit, not just the credit itself, but you could also tap into things like air miles and other rewards points, which I imagine these rich people want to do. The rich get richer, right? 84% of U.S. adults had a credit card in 2021, 
73% of Americans have a credit card by age of 25. So it's the first really the first experience people have with credit is a credit card. So the average FICA based on FICA, which is like an international credit rating, the average credit score is 716, which is good. But this seems at odd, you know, the average seems to be skewed. It's probably brought up by a bunch of rich people who can pay off their credit cards. But if everyone's carrying $5,000 of credit card debt, I don't know how you could have a 716 credit score rating. Obviously, the averages are skewed here by people who make a shit ton of cash. So here's a really important stat. Remember I was talking about APR? Maybe I was talking about APR and uh, annual percentage rate. Well, the average interest rate or APR is 24.08%. So 24%, that's insane, right? That's almost credit card shark, that's almost credit card shark loaning, right? Where 24%, that's insane. Like, think about it this way, In flip it, invert it. Where are you gonna find an investment that pays you 24%? <laughs> Anywhere, probably never. You're not gonna find that. You'd have to have like a tech stock that you bought when it just went public or something like that to have that kind of a huge return on your money, ROI. Which is why being a borrower is probably one of the best businesses out there, assuming you can get people to pay you back. That's why, the, that's why the mafia was in it. The four most common type of credit cards is Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. Visa is by far most the common. Visa is by far the most common, making 52.8% of cards in circulation. Visa. That's how they could afford to pay Morgan Freeman. My name is Morgan Freeman. When I was born, I was already 60. And my credit card is paid off. So now you're running down on credit, right? You're learning about what credit is, what it does, and this is all kind of elementary stuff. I just am amused by the stats. By the way, what do you think? Do you think we use bartering first? Do you think that it was money first? Or do you think we use a credit system first to exchange goods and services? And what is the future of credit cards? Credit card use is widespread, and it's a big part of our lives. But if you've heard anything by these companies, these kind of James Bond evil organizations, like the World Economic Forum, they'll say stuff like, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, what does that translate to? Well, am I going to even need a credit card in 30 or 40 years? Like, what is the future of consumer credit? And now you're seeing stuff like the government trying to wipe out all student loans. Like the Biden administration in the United States, uh, they almost tried to bi uh, bipartisanly pass the student forgiveness, the student debt forgiveness bill, which would have write, written off all the student loans in the United States. And I think they got up to X percent written off, like up to 10 grand or something like that, which is insane because that's essentially, let, let's say you're a, a woodworker in Pennsylvania and you never went to school. You just kind of picked up an apprenticeship and you learned how to cut wood as a millwright in a shop and you don't have any schooling to your name, but now you're making a lot of money and you pay taxes. You pay state and federal taxes. Part of these federal taxes are going towards the guy down the street from you who went went to underground water weaving school at a four state four year state college and uh, doesn't have a great job and now they're saddled with eighty grand of student loan debt. You taking a different route, not going to school, making some good money, and now making a really good money, have no debt because you went ever you went the apprentice apprenticeship route. Now you have to pay off Johnny's bill down the road. Is that fair? Well, you could say that life's not fair, but it seems like people's bad decisions about going to school in the first place, mine included, I paid $40,000 for my undergraduate. I don't have any student loans. I paid it off as I went. But if I did it all over, would I need that degree? No, I would not. Um, I don't think anything outside of STEM is appropriate <laughs> anymore. 
really, unless you're going for law school or something or med school, like it doesn't make sense for a undergraduate to pursue that unless you're going to guaranteed have a really high demand job at the very end of it. And most things in the arts just don't really kind of justify that. But anyways, going back to credit here, what is the future of credit? Well, credit is going to be in the hands of the consumers. New international relations are putting the personal data back in the hands of consumers who, who control the personal data they authorize access to. There's things like machine learning, deep learning, neural networks that are giving companies bigger assets and bigger insights into data. And data is really the kind of theme I'm seeing here as far as this article about the future of credit. Because you have things now like the blockchain, right? And the blockchain can create technologies like Bitcoin, which is just a digital currency. Uh, and then you have fintech, right? Which is things like Stripe and Block, which are payment processing platforms. So AI technology seem to be disrupting things when it comes to the data side. But maybe we'll be able to barter. Man, this is just a crazy idea here. But what if we can barter based on the data we have? Where what we know becomes currency. It's kind of like a digital consultant where everyone, everyone's, ac everyone's information in their brain is accessible by something like Neuralink. And then we'll be able to instantaneously trade that data uh, for hours worked or for labor hours or for consultancy work done. And it will be completely digital, the transfer. And instead of bartering for carpets and spices, we'll be, we'll be bartering for data. And that barter will be currency. It will, it will be, it will be digital currency. That's long term. That's science fiction. But in the meantime, I think what we have to think about here is interest rates, which is going to be a huge, huge driver of what happens with card holders and people who decide to even have credit cards moving forward. There's people like Dave Ramsey. I'm not sure if you've heard of the Dave Ramsey show, but he is a huge advocate of just getting rid of all the credit cards which I did at one point, like I had credit card debt until I was 25, 26, I paid it all off. And I didn't have a credit card for like three years because I just didn't trust myself with it. I wasn't a responsible spender, right? I did this thing called th retail therapy or whenever I got into a rut or changed jobs, I just had to dip into my savings and it just got out of hand. So I started subscribing to Dave Ramsey's philosophies about being debt free and not using the card and having an emergency fund and he's got the seven baby steps i'd encourage you to check out his stuff if you're kind of struggling with debt because it's a really good resource but it could be extreme on the side when it comes to using debt for actual assets right like if you're in real estate debt is kind of the way to go or how you get things done right opm other people's money or the concept of leverage you have to be able to understand these things and not be an enemy of finance but being a willing participant but it's hard if you are opposed to using debt at all. Or it could be a religious thing, right? Like I know Muslims or people in Islam, they are not allowed to use debt at all. So if you ha if you see a Muslim guy with a house, that house is paid off. And that's why there's seven families living in there, by the way, because they'll pool their money, which I'm not against. I think we should do this more in the West, to be honest with you. They pool their money in the resources. So they're all working at the gas station or wherever. Maybe somebody's an engineer or whatever. They pool their money and then they're able to buy big stuff like a house because their their religion says they're not allowed to be in debt. It's like the least fun religion, by the way. They can't drink and they're not allowed to be in debt. So that means they save a lot of headaches and a lot of hangovers. <laughs> Anyways, to back on topic here, there's a lot of reasons why credit is such a lucrative business because obviously the borrower is slave to the lender. And when that's the case, a lot of people who make a shit ton of money anyways and have a lot of things that they could barter, just transfer that into a credit system. So look at Apple, 
for example. Apple is is the most profitable cash flowing business on the fa- on the planet. I think they have ten billion dollars of free cash flow every single year, and what that free cash flow means is that is money that does not go towards any kind of expense, tax, or otherwise. It is just free, free cash flow. Think about that in a business. $10 billion of it. So you could not sell a product for years and still have enough money to keep the lights on. But guess what? Apple is Apple made a credit card two, three years ago. And of course they did because they have so much free cash flow. They can be very flexible about giving out money. See, when you have a lot of money, one of the best things to do in the world as a business is to give it away. If you have because you're not worried about getting it right away. So you might as well make money on the money, right? If you're Apple and you have, I don't know. 15 to 20 billion dollars in the bank why not turn a billion of that dollars into credit and loan it out at i don't know 15 or 20 percent and actually because they can be competitive because they're not a bank they're a tech company they can lower their apr instead of it being 24 percent, they can have it be one or two or three percent and they can also offer incentives with all the products they have it was kind of genius when everyone was like oh why is apple getting in the credit card game i'm like why not (laughs) When you become so rich as a company, like they have more money than some countries. When you get to that size, all you have to do, the only business that makes sense is to give some of the money away for a price. So yeah, that's an interesting thing, right? Apple cash balances, Apple Pay, they have it all on the phone, right? So instead of having a credit card, you just have the Apple phone and that's the new credit card. That is the new world order, by the way, the phone. They can listen to us, Big Brother's always listening. You can pay from it. Really, if you lose your phone, you're fucked. Everything is on there, including this new credit system. And then you have concepts like the social credit. Oh my God, that's scary. The social credit score in China where people will be wearing those uh, Ray-Ban glasses that Facebook made and you'll be able to look around. It was like an episode of Black Mirror. And instead of seeing people's faces, you'll see a credit score, like a number out of 100 of this person's value to society. And it's very uh, Orwellian because it's like, oh, that person is no longer my neighbor. That person has X value because they have they owe this much money. This is their job. This is how much they make. This is their marital status. It will just kind of put them in a box and a profile and will no longer see people as people anymore. It's scary to think about, but that's kind of what I feel like the world's going towards. And that's a form of credit, right? But instead of just your financial credit, it's your whole personal credit, who you are as a person, your beliefs, uh, all these different kinds of things. Uh, how many friends you have, how many social, how many networks you have on, how many connections you have on LinkedIn, even though LinkedIn is super cringe. These are all crazy concepts, but it all stems from this idea of credit, which is trust, which is a promise. You ever heard of a black card? You know, the rappers in the ni- in the early 2000s used to rap about the black cards. Let me in now, let me in now. Bill Gates, Donald Trump, let me in now, in now. But anyways, the black card is a limitless card. Most credit cards have, except for the black card, have a limit on how much you can spend, right? You'll have 5000 or 10000 or fifteen or 20000 But like I was saying earlier, credit is a revolving door system. So the more money you make and the more you can pay off, the more credit you're allowed. So if you're a millionaire, the, way that, the only way they can incentivize millionaires to use credit cards is by saying it's a limitless credit card. And by the way, you're going to get benefits from it. And we're going to give you a limitless credit card because you have limitless money, seemingly. Nobody's got limitless money, right? By the way, even Elon Musk or the richest person in the world, if they were to spend all their money, if they were to give everyone like, I don't know, $2 million, they'd be broke. So it's a limitless card in the sense that they don't think you can spend it all. 
or there's no way that you'll be able to, you have more money than you can spend. That's the concept. But uh, sometimes this card is actually better than money. Things like the black card can get you into certain resorts, certain destinations that are hard to reach. It probably gives you, uh, it's probably part of the Illuminati starter kit. <laughs> uh, if you want to join a secret society, uh, if you want to go on certain exclusive packages or be on the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl, these are all probably things that are part of the black card. They're so expensive that in my research, I couldn't even find how much it costs to sign up. But a quick history of credit, and then I think we can wind it down. The Dark Ages, like I was saying, talking about the ancient Babylonians using uh, these these clay tablets. Babylon in 1800s was the first society to ever use a maximum credit rate. So it's the most that a debtor, like who is giving away a silver or grain, that's the most that they could charge in the APR. And I think they set the ceiling at 33%. In the Roman Republic in 50 BC, Cicero, one of the Roman emperors, wrote down on a ledger or on a sheet of paper that another guy in his neighborhood bought 115 or sorry 625 acres of land for credit effectively something that would be paid back later and it was noted in his in his memoirs you have the dark ages of europe saying that all interest is banned so no credit was allowed <laughs> uh, the age of discovery in 1500 the european explorers and merchants begin to trade missions to faraway lands and the needed capital increases so they were using credit to actually finance these missions for like people like Christopher Columbus to sail the new world. Henry VIII, the guy who chopped off all of his wife's head, even though because they couldn't give him a son, even though it was his fault. He set the legal rate of interest in London during 1550, 1545 at 10%. So he was the first person to nationalize like universal credit rate. You had a bunch of English tailors who would get together and swap information about their customers who had failed to pay their debts. And this is the earliest available account of credit reporting. So this is when credit or credit creditors start communicating, saying, hey, are you? Uh, did you borrow James some money? Be like, yeah, I did. Has he paid you back? No, he hasn't. He hasn't paid me back either. So they would start making, like, they would actually start keeping track of who's paying back who. And then Equifax, or what it used to be called, uh, retail credit companies founded in Atlanta in 1899. And that's just a list of people who pay back their loans on time. And it just becomes like a credit agency. And really, that's kind of the beginning of the Industrial Revolution where cars are made and obviously people can't buy cars. So people have to use credit to purchase an automobile and pay it back over time because most families can't afford the Model T. And uh, then you have general notes, plastic surgery and uh, technology, and then computers are invented. So all the technology just kind of aided and abetted this idea of credit throughout until now where now we have like everything is digital, right? Nobody's bartering anymore except for Facebook Marketplace. But you know it could be interesting if someone brought back the old school way of bartering and someone started an exchange based on bartering where you're not allowed to bring any credit to the table uh, from any financial institution. Instead, it has to be actual physical goods for physical goods. Wouldn't that be interesting? But anyways, that's all I got to say about credit. And I hope you guys do a deep dive, figure out what your APR is, figure out if you can refinance. Like when I was in, working in real estate, I've learned a lot about what refinancing is. And that's when you go to the bank and say, hey, I've improved my situation here. If it's a, if it's a real estate deal, hey, I've got more leases done. If it's your house, it's, you could say, hey, I want to refinance my mortgage. I'm making more money now or I want to stay for longer. Let's look at my rates. Let's look at the money I am owed or the money that I owe and see what we can tweak. And they'll work with you on it, right? And get you a better rate. 
right? That's what a mortgage broker does. They they broker, they're, they're out there looking for better rates for their customers. So there's always a way out. And if you are suffering from credit card debt, uh, you could even give me a call, 780-915-4402. I'll do my best to call uh, or help you work through it and uh, point you in the right direction because there is a way out, right? I've been 20-something thousand dollars in debt before in my early 20s. It was not fun. But the, the fact is I was able to work my way out of and through that process of rice and beans, beans and rice, I was able to learn how to cook. So there is a silver lining to every process, but just make sure that you think about it and you put your head down and you too will be able to uh, pay back that car for 175000 Might want to hold on to that one. Until next time, see you at the bank. Peace.